All right. It is 10 20, 23. What does that mean? It means it's time for your weekly dose of Common Sense here at Common Sense Ohio. And you can check that out at commonsenseohioshow.com where you can question us or, or maybe leave comments, ask some questions. If you want to be a guest, well, that's easy too. Just tell Norm on the on the webpage that you want to come in because Norm's the screener of all. That's not really true. We all sort of collaborate on it. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, lots going on at commonsenseohioshow.com. The blogs are there. Brett's got one. Norm's got one. I got a big goose egg next to mine, but it's coming. I promise it's coming. It's coming. Uh, and, and for those who have been listening the last three or four weeks, we do have a sponsor. And if you want to be a sponsor, a different segment, you can do that too. There's plenty of opportunity. Uh, our sponsor is Harper plus. And if you're watching on video as we now, uh, as we now have now do now have anyway, we're on video now. Uh, you can see Mr. Harper right here at the table, Glenn Harper from Harper Plus Accounting, and I'll give my spiel so he can hear it live. He is my accountant, but he's not just an accountant, and Glenn, you can help me if I get this wrong. Um, you know, some accounts, you go to H&R Block, you go to the guy twirling around the big sign or the, you know, the, the airman flying up and down uh, the little doll. You're going to get a transactional type of experience. In other words, they're going to get your tax return done, but it's garbage in, garbage out. And what do I mean? I mean, you don't know what you're doing with your taxes if you run a small business. How do I know that? Because I don't know what I'm doing with my taxes if I run a small business. And worse yet, I think that I do. And the, the problem with all of that is when you send it, when you send the garbage out to the garbage man, uh, he doesn't take it away. He just hides it. And then the IRS comes back and delivers it back to you in the form of like a request a, an audit or something else that's horrible that you don't even want to think about. So we, we work with a tax planner. We work with, a, with an accountant who helps you plan out what's going on. So in July, I know what I'm going to owe or not owe in, in October. And then in October, I know what I'm going to owe or not owe in December and just, you know, do the math from there. So Glenn, welcome to the show. You know, this is what happens when people sponsor us. They get to actually appear and, 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 and broadcast live, well, sort of live to the entire world. So but if you don't know this, the entire world listens to us. That's the only way to roll. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here, Steve-O. Yeah. And you got your own podcast. Yes. And where do you, where do, you do that? I do it in 511 South High. Ah, it's a right cool, here. cool studio. Right, right here a, at Channel 511. We got production people and video and producers. It's awesome. So what we're going to do, what we're going to do, Glenn, today is we're going to talk to you a little bit about your business. I know Norm's got notes over there. And if you're watching on video, again, did I say we're doing some video? I did. I did. Okay. So we're doing this on video now. Norm's got the notes cooking over there. He's going to ask you some questions. See, I know too much about you. And for those who haven't heard me talk about this, you've been my accountant now for the better part of 30 years, maybe. Back in the day when we 95. had matrix printers, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think you came into my office. Fax machine, and, you're faxing over information back and forth. Yeah, yes, you right. tried to sell me on your services back in like 19, yeah. November of 95, I believe. Maybe uh, December, maybe spring of... You just, uh, you just came out of college. Just passed the bar exam. Yeah. And uh, you were uh, you were in my office. I had that little glass round table. Uh, it was pre-Yavich and Palmer days. Now, of course, it's Palmer Legal Defense. But anyway, uh, been with me for... Uh, your entire career and almost mine, I guess. That's uh, mm-hmm. sort of the deal. But uh, without further ado, Norm, you, I bet you got some questions. Well, I, I just would like to open up with, with a little story. Um, I have heard that when he was still with us, that uh, Donald Rumsfeld, you know, who was uh, a White House chief of staff, secretary of defense, Navy aviator, pretty smart guy. He would always attach a letter to his tax return uh, telling the IRS that he did not understand, could not decipher the Internal Revenue Code. And so, therefore, he is submitting this return. He would staple it right to the return. He, he's submitting this return with f- 
complete and total reliance on the professionals that he had hired. So I'm just wondering if you have any if you have any clients that ever did anything like that, or what do you think of that as an affirmative defense? I don't think that's going to work very well, um, but it it that's the way it is anyway. So ultimately, the taxpayers always responsible. But if you hire a non CPA, generally, they're not responsible for your tax return either. So it's all you as the taxpayer. If you're a CPA, you've got this standard where. Um, They put this in quite a few years ago, but if you as a client do something wrong and there's a penalty on the return, they'll look to the preparer and say, oh, well, you should have known better, and we're going to double that penalty for the preparer. Wow. So, Well, more than that, see, it's a little-known fact. I I do criminal defense work, and uh, there is a defense. So if I've had guys charged with uh, tax fraud, tax evasion, failure to file returns, whatever it would be in federal court, one of the one of the prime defenses we look at first is was my client relying on professional advice. So if I'm relying on the professional advice of a CPA and that's the result that resulted in the mistake or the problem, that's theoretically a defense. Now rarely it does it work because often, like I said, if I give you bad information or bad numbers, um, you're going to just operate on that. But you know that that brings out the, a good question for you. It's like how do you handle that? How do you how do you cipher through that? Because I could give you any number I want. Um, and you know, I guess in my line of work, it's a lot grayer because I know you always say, well, we can just say it was this and categorize it this way instead of that way. And where I say, if you're turning a blind eye, like if the accountant turns a blind eye to what is probably obvious bad numbers, probably obvious. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. Then, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that concern? So what will happen is, again, the rules changed quite a bit and just that responsibility because ultimately we're, we're going to be liable. So if you hand me a handwritten piece of paper with some notes on it and say, that's my Schedule C for my self-employment income, way back in the day, okay, great, this is what it is. You're good on those. Yeah, you'd fill it out and you go with it. IRS has said, you know, if you do that as a CPA preparer and you didn't do the diligence to go search for those numbers and find bank statements and get receipts and look at that to check the validity of that, then I'm kind of liable because I just took somebody's word on this. You crap. turned a blind eye to right. what? Like, oh, some red flags. Yeah, Bob, that, you said it's ten thousand. Okay, it's ten thousand bucks. You know, we we can't do that. Now, again, on the scope of whole return, there's materiality. There's what things are and probably are, what people can prove and can't prove. If they have to. You got to go through that. And you just learn how that works. But you know, somebody can say, "Look, I I spent money on my cell phone, but I don't know what my business percentage use is." Right. Well, we know you spent whatever it is, 80 bucks a month, and you'd say, well, most people have to have a phone for business, so you don't take 100% of that, but you could probably take 75% and be reasonable. Yeah. But if you're going to go for 100%, well, you know it's going to come back because nobody spends it 100% business on something, unless it truly is a separate phone only for business. Yeah, like if I've got a PC sitting in my office, that's 100% business all day long. If you've got a bat phone that's strictly dedicated, then that counts. And, and back in the day, you know, people would have home phones. Like you couldn't deduct your home phone, but you could deduct long-distance calls if you remember the day. Mm-hmm. You'd get your phone bill and you can, oh, this call was business, this call was business. I remember itemizing that crap or but looking you, at it. Yeah, but you, don't, you couldn't do your phone, but you could do the actual calls. Mm-hmm. Now, and guys you know, would get second lines in their house only, f- quote, business. For a fax line or something, mm-hmm. and you could yeah. deduct it. But again, that, that's the misnomer about a lot of things about uh, deductions is that, you know, people think, oh, I, I get a deduction. I want to get deductions. Well, why would you want to have any deductions? Why wouldn't you just wake up in the morning, get mailbox money, and go, wow, I just got a check for a million dollars, and I have no expenses. Now you can do some cool tax things to defer income, do those types of things. But 
who who wants to actually spend money to make money? You just would rather have income. But if you have to spend money, how do you get it to be a good deduction? Or worse yet, my, my, I remember my old Uncle Ray, great Uncle Ray. He, I think he died with I don't know how much money in the bank account. But this is back in probably the late 70s, early 80s, maybe, maybe early mid 80s. And um, every single penny was in a savings account because he didn't want to have to pay tax on the gains. And it was like, I remember my dad just laughing about it, thinking, yeah, that was the, the old, the, all the Joneses, all the old Welsh uh, history. Like, they, like paying anything out was worse than making money. Yeah, the, it's really hard. The first time you make money, most everybody pays tax on it, unless you're putting that money somewhere else to try to offset it. But most everybody pays tax the first time. The second time you make money on your money, that's when you got to be smarter. It's in a deferred account. It's a tax-free account. It's in a growth fund that's not paying tax until you cash it out. It's just being smarter with the timing of money. And, you know, there's really two sets of tax codes out there. There's for the normal working person has a real job. You you can't really do anything. You make your salary and you pay your tax. And they give you a little stipends of what you can take for standard deductions and whatnot. But just is what it is. There's really not a lot of wiggle room because you make it, you pay it. When you're self-employed and you're an entrepreneur, that's what the tax code's really meant for. And you can participate at different levels based on how much money you make, the type of industry you're in, leveraging kids and spouses and different endeavors, participation rules and what's material and basis. You get to write off a lot of things that you otherwise would not get to even think about. Yeah, but that's not fair. I, you got to talk to your congressman who wrote the I tax saw, code. Norm, did you see this um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Oh, God. She she has this Instagram nonsense. And she's always like cooking or cutting. This time I think she was cutting lemons or something. And she's wearing this shirt, her shirt, by the way, the shirt, that, like the sweatshirt that she sells on her website, apparently for like 50 or 60 bucks. And it says tax the rich. And she goes, well, if we would just tax the rich, we would have uh, enough to fund schools or we would have enough to do this. While she's calling for a ceasefire, of course. Um, at the, sure. in Israel, but we'll get to that maybe. Uh, at any rate, she's saying tax the rich, and there's this notion going around uh, that the rich don't pay taxes. And I, you know, it, here at Common Sense Ohio, this is sort of back to what we do at our roots. It's like I try to take these things apart, figure out what the definitions mean, and then analyze them. So first, we'd have to determine uh, who are rich, who is rich, uh, and then <laughs> do the rich people really pay tax? And what's the percentage of rich versus poor versus whatever? And maybe you can uh, help us sort of sort that out. Because, like, look, I am I rich and do I pay tax? Well, I mean, I know I pay a ridiculous amount of tax. So if anybody says, if, I, if, I, if I'm in her rich category, then she's wrong. I pay a lot of taxes. So that is the, the most misunderstood thing about the tax code of who actually pays the tax. And it's it's almost embarrassing that there's something like – 60 million people in the country pay no income tax whatsoever. Like they're participating in the system and they pay zero because of credits, deductions. They don't claim it. That's all under the table, whatever. They just don't pay anything. And then, so if you make say less than 50 grand a year, you're probably not going to pay much income tax at all. By the time you get your standard deduction, a couple kids, the credits, you're, you're really not paying anything. You might be paying social security tax, but that's something solely separate. So for purpose of income tax, it's income tax, not Social Security, income tax. So income tax, if you make, say, less than 50 grand, you're probably not going to pay a lot. The top 5% 
literally to be in the top 5% of wage earners in the country, you, you as a household, you got to be over 125,000 a year. That's remarkable, isn't it? Like, so, wow. I mean, that, that seems pretty ubiquitous. I don't mean to suggest that there aren't people suffering poverty and, and, and have their own financial stress, but you know, I would think the average middle income or what, yeah, middle class neighborhood has a combined income of somewhere around 125, 130,000, like but 60 grand a piece, it, 70 grand a piece. Yeah. And you're in the top 5% at that point. So how much tax is that person paying? They're not that, paying that, that much. At that level, they're probably paying like, you know, 15, 20, 25,000, depending on what they do in tax. So it's not a huge amount, but it's significant. So if I make 125, I'm paying 25 grand. Give, well, give or, or take. Or 15 you're to be, 25. You're probably going to be in like the 12, 15% bracket um, on some of that income. So yeah, it just depends on all those, all those factors, child credits and all whatever, but it's it's not still not a lot. Well, Ocasio-Cortez, she can't be wrong. Oh, she's, she's, <laughs> she she's can't be wrong. So what is she like? How do we how do we square what she's so, saying? So then all of a sudden you get up and you say, well, how do I get to the you know top one percent? Well, top one percent says you got to make over five hundred thousand a year. Say four fifty five hundred thousand. Well, that's a huge gap though. So what's what's like you know I think a, like you would say people who are wealthy, the people driving the fancy cars, not that that makes them wealthy, but you you sort of see that I would think somewhere around three hundred grand combined income. Yeah, but and that's the crazy thing. Once you start getting upwards of that three, four hundred thousand, your tax bracket with all the taxes you pay is right around almost half. You know, so if I make three hundred grand, I'm paying one hundred fifty. No, so no. When you start going over that three hundred, okay. So next, everything over three hundred, I'm paying half because you got thirty-seven percent wow. top bracket plus three point nine percent extra Medicare plus you got a little bit of Social Security you're paying plus you got state plus mm-hmm. you got local. You're you're pushing fifty. So if you make a million bucks a year, you're like, wow, this is great. But you're probably paying four hundred and fifty thousand in tax, give or take. All right. So it sounds like we're taxing the rich, in other words. Oh boy. And if you make that second million, you're you're literally losing. You're you're giving half to the government. Half okay. of the second. Half of the second million. So you're literally paying fifty percent. So say, take the so somebody makes two million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. The first and the and it, it's graduated, right? So it's like you don't pay, like you you pay. As you go up. So the first million is taxed at what rate? So it's at different brackets. Some's at zero, some is at 10, 12, 17, 24, 26, 31, 33, 37, whatever it is. So my, just to the feds. Just to the feds. So my combined tax obligation on $2 million, like what's a, what do you think the guesstimate tax would be? If I make $2 million, if I put $2 million in income, what do I pay in tax? You're probably paying somewhere around eight hundred thousand in tax, eight fifty. And if you got a good CPA that can plan, you can knock that down quite a bit. But I mean, it used to money. be a lot worse. Yeah. Oh my God! But back when Reagan took over, I think the top bracket was you know over fifty yeah. percent itself. I yeah. mean, back in the in the twenties when they first started, the top bracket was like ninety percent. Yeah, but there was shel- that's when that's when all the shelters happened, right? So that was back in the in the eighties, like the tax but, shelter. People were buying property. People were doing all sorts of stuff. So th- th- I know what the bracket said, but people weren't paying that much. So there's again, there's remember I said there's a couple different tax codes. So when you're an entrepreneur and you're making whatever, and you have flexibility to shift income and and put bringing deductions off your income, you have that. But most people, you know, you have to make, you know. 600, 500, 600,000 a year before you got enough disposable income. Like you really, it's hard to spend that as a normal person. If you come out of college, you're making 50 grand a year and all of a sudden you're making 500,000 a year. By the time you pay your student loan, two cars, a mortgage, kids and private tuition, you don't have a lot of money, which is insane to even think that it takes that much. You're, you're just, you really can't spend it all. And at that point in time, you're probably not going to make any more than that because you're good where you're at. But if you make more than that now, it's worthwhile 
to explore options to how to, I don't want to say hide money, but defer it, manipulate the system where you can offset certain things. Totally legal. I mean, it's in the code. You you can do these things, but change your entities, how you pay things, defer and define benefit plans, and all these types of things where you can kind of defer that down a little bit because you can't spend all that money. I mean, a normal person can. Now, if you start buying your Lambos and you're buying three houses, you're going to go, the cost of an entourage is expensive and you got to do those things. Um, Norm, you got an entourage over there. Oh, I do. Yeah. 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 His racing team. Everybody should have one. For sure. So then when you start doing the the person on your shirt that's talking about tax the rich, we're talking like if you're making more than a million dollars a year, you are in the like the top half a percent. And you're paying- you're paying a lot, three or four hundred thousand in tax. But now, when you start making, say, twenty million, fifty million, a hundred million a year, those people are under con- almost continuous audit because it's worth it for the government to look at it. Because you make a one change, you're going to get a couple million bucks. Now, there's a difference though between income and wealth. Correct. So it's like they're making twenty million a year, but that's not coming as like a like a W two income. It, it well, the the more you elevate into your strata of income and wealth, the more diversified your portfolio comes. You're going to get passive income from interest dividends and capital gains. You're going to have some real estate holdings of multi um, LLCs that you're involved with, like venture capital things. You're going to probably have some sort of real job that's tied to your your self-employment income. You're going to have all these things, but you're going to have your fingers in a lot of things. And so you're going to get different types of income and all those incomes are taxed differently. You know, capital gains is, you know, capped at whatever that is, 15% plus a little bit more, goes up to 20% depending on your bracket. There's a little vig on top. So that's way better than, you know, 39%. But still, it's still a good chunk. Oh, it's a huge amount of money. So when people say, so it it is true, this is, again, we get back to like these common sense definitions. If you hear that in the background, Mm -hmm. that's our mascot. But anyway, there's some common sense definitions that we should get to. It's like, all right, so it might be true that somebody making 20, 20 million a year doesn't pay income tax on all that but they might pay capital gains tax on some of the, the gains that happen as a result of it. And I think it's helpful to note when they have that kind of wealth, isn't it already taxed? So remember, there's- I mean, those two, are after-tax dollars to well, begin with. Well, there's two types of income. Well, there's multiple types, but earned income is when you go out and you get employed and you get earned income and you pay Social Security tax on that. And it's really hard to offset earned income because it just is what it is. You can get what's called then- investment income, which is interest, dividends, and capital gains, and that's taxed at a different way. Um, And then you have what's called like business income from different LLCs or S-corps, or even could be in a corporation where money's being generated, but sometimes it may not be taxed because it's growing, like real estate investment. You might buy a piece of real estate and rent it out, and it's going to generate a cash flow positive but a tax loss because of depreciation. And if you do this right in the tax code, again, it's changing as we speak, everything's phasing out, but you go out and make a million dollars a year and that's your W-2. And you could say, you're going to go buy a short-term rental property down in Florida in the beach because that's what everybody does during oh, of course. You know, the vid, whatever. Five of those. So you could go buy a million dollar property Short-term rental, which means less than seven, less than fourteen-day rental on average, or seven days. It provides significant services, and you can pay a million dollars for that. And then you can do a cost segregation study on this, and they will say, "Hey, of this million dollars, part of this for the business piece of this is four hundred thousand bucks." 
uh, and you can accelerate. Instead of taking this normal property and dividing it up over 30-some years, you can take that 400000 today. So you have this million-dollar income. You take up, you go buy this property. You put like 10000 bucks down because you bought it whenever, and you're making payments, but you're getting rental income, so you're kind of cash flow neutral. You're out of pockets, you know, fifty grand or whatever. You get a four hundred thousand dollar deduction today. It goes directly against your W two income. If you qualify, there's a lot of things to go through. Some people qualify, some people don't. But if you're a realtor, you're always going to get into this game. And if you are a, if you have a spouse that's not working that can put the time it needs for this, you can get into this game. But a million dollars, and remember we talked about if you're six hundred thousand to a million dollars, you're going to be paying right around that fifty percent. Round numbers, everybody just don't hold me to that because there's a lot of fa- functions there. But that saves you 200000 in cash. I put $50,000 down on the property. It's cash flowing, and I'm going to get a $200,000 tax benefit. We're all tax dollars back. And that's how you can do it when you're an entrepreneur and you can do it and you get into these types of things. If you have a real job and you make a million bucks a year, you just made a million dollars, you pay your tax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're talking like the secondary type. Like after you've done that for a few years, you can you can build up some because, wealth and then you can start doing something. Because what, what you just said, so the income, again, most people, America, we're great. We have a great ability to, uh, we make what we make and we spend what we make plus a little more. We're just good at that. I mean, we're yeah. just leveraged. The government tells us how to do it because they do it very well. <laughs> so we do it. But when you can stop that cycle where you can make money and you have money left over that you can accumulate and deploy that in a way that is not just throwing it to make some money or go blowing on a new car or something. You can put it tax efficiently for you. That's when you acquire wealth. It's not how much you make. It's how much you, it's not what you make on earned income. It's what you make on your passive income. So much you save. Like, you you know, even at at all levels, if you start, look, when I was 20, I was at the poverty level. mm -hmm. I had nothing. We all were. I had zero. So this is another sort of uh, norm. I, I, I interest on your take on this because everybody says that you're like there's so many people on the poverty level, but not many people stay at the poverty level in, in our country. You know, it's like I was at the poverty level. We all sitting at this table yeah. started with zero. I was actually started with less than zero. Negative. Negative. And you know, I scraped and clawed, and next thing I know, I was even. And next thing I know, I had ten grand, and I was saving to buy my uh, you know whatever. And I had rent, and I was struggling. I had a car, and I drove a beater, whatever it would be. You mean you mean the government didn't. Uh, dismiss or forgive your college debt, did they? No, I got Nothing. out of law school with a little bit of debt. I paid it off. As, so you were I, negative. Was the first thing I did. And, and you know, it's a funny story. Eric Yavich, God rest his soul. Uh, we had our first office in the basement of an office building uh, over on Third Street. I mean, literally the basement. It was the furnace room. Mm-hmm. And we, we sat both sat at a banquet table. So it was against a wall banquet. You know what I mean? But like the fold mm-hmm. of the real heavy it was awesome. particle board ones yeah. that weigh like 100 pounds. Not those cool plastic ones we have now. And we had two computers. First we had one, then we got two. And so we just, so we worked it up. And one day Eric was um, sitting there and I was like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm writing checks, just paying bills. And I was like, what are you paying? All my student loans. And um, so with your, I think you were helping us at this point. So every dollar I made, I put 33 cents in a savings account, like clockwork every week. Um, And then I was like, well, why not just put 50 cents? And sooner after a while, we built built up a pretty good account. Like I saved it, and we we still took home the same amount, but we saved it. And Eric was sitting there, and he's he's I'm paying my loans. Like what is it? And he told me it was like twenty. I don't know what it was. And I just said, well, pay it off, man. We got the money. He goes, we have it. I was like, yeah, we got it. I've been saving it every day or every week. I put this much away, and you know, I talked to Glenn, and we have this much left over for taxes, or we've got our taxes. We have this much left over. Just write a check, man. Be done with it. And 
you know, it was like a, a lesson norm in like fiscal responsibility. Yeah, sure. We didn't kick that can down the road. No. You signed a, a loan agreement. And back then it wasn't backed by the federal government. It was a local bank, yep. you know, that serviced that. And you had to pay it off. You had to pay it off. Yeah. And he wrote the check, paid it off, and we were done. And then everything after that stacks up, you know. And then, of course, he bought a house. And we, we eventually got into the same mess that the rest of us get into, but without student loans. And I did the same thing with mine. You know, we just like, all right. So we had it. We planned for it. We paid it. And I think nowadays people, first of all, they borrow too much and the price has gone up too much. Right. But even then they think like, I don't have to pay it. Right. So if you, if you have that mindset, I don't have to pay it, you're not going to save the money to pay it. You're going to just, you're just not well, going to Well, for three it. years now, they've been hearing Santa Claus stories. And, right. and, and I know kids in college right now that think, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to do something in DC to bail me out. Yeah. So they're just, they're not saving the money to they're pay not, it. They're not even thinking they have to pay it back. So if everybody right. now, say it's not like 30 cents on a dollar, but if you got a normal job they're withholding, say you just took 10 cents on a dollar. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, look, I get it. I'm not immune and I'm not callous to the idea that some people just live at a certain level no. of, of, of income that they couldn't do that. Sure. But I think most of the people out of college probably could. Yeah. You know, instead of buying five beers at the bar, buy two and drink three at home. <laughs> right. You know, whatever it is. Or that know. daily coffee that's or three, the daily three coffee. or four bucks. Put yeah, that, but put it's that so good. I know, and I'm right there with <laughs> you. I totally when am. It hits your lips. Or the I car, yeah. or the five, $600 month car payment. So I'll right. tell you, so on this yeah. one, we, we counsel clients on this all the time. When you come out of college, the premise is, oh, I'm going to be elevated to this job at this salary. And you think, oh, I'm a doctor. I'm going to make a buck 50 a year. That's awesome. Well, you don't really have 150. <laughs> the government's going to take 40 some, 50,000 of that. Now you got to pay a mortgage, two cars, right. your student loans back. You have no money. so we'll Your medical open. malpractice oh, premium, for, ex- for God's grand, sake. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. So what we always say is like you, if you come out of college as a doctor, a lawyer, whatever that is, you still live like you're back in college. You don't spend a dime because if you can just delay that satisfaction thinking, hey, I've made it. I'm going to go spend all this money. Don't do it. Wait, say, like two years to build up your powder and basically start chunking things down and understand what the tax man's taking first because you never want to get behind in taxes. That's the worst place to be. So we always say, say 50%, whatever you make, put 50% for taxes. We're never going to use all of that. We're going to use a big chunk of it, and it gives you opportunity. And so if you can do that, all of a sudden now you've chunked this thing down where, hey, maybe you can actually, when you make 150000 a year, you can actually live that kind of lifestyle. But you can't coming out of college. It's impossible. Right. If you, you see, never you're, do you're wrong-footed to start. Yeah. You're doomed yeah. to failure. And that two-year window will save you 20 years of absolute hell. That's, a, that's amazing. Just take, it's wow. that so big of a difference. You know what I've not heard one thing about yet, talking to a tax accountant, is how to fill out my 1040. Or is that the right form, the 1040 easy or whatever it is? Like, uh, they got different names now. I don't even know what they whatever are. Whatever it is. I, or how to fill out my tax return. The point is, is like what you guys offer over there is far more, uh, it's, it's a lot better, a lot more fun maybe is the better way to say it than just how to, than well, how to file it, a tax return. It's just like you said, it's planning versus reacting. So that, that, that was yeah. the, cause when I started using you too, I, I'm talking, it was an exhale of like, okay, now I'm really planning versus reacting. I hated that feeling every yeah. time going in going, why are we paying this? Why are we paying that? Not knowing how to really plan for the year to know that it's going to happen. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Fine. Maybe you can't do anything about it, but at least know, okay, I get it why this is always this. 
Yeah, and, Christmas is coming oh regardless. God, I hated but that. you don't want to be shopping on Christmas Eve. Exactly. It's just no, that's not so much. Well, fun. I hated can, that. Can I? Um, I this might be a little bit policy oriented, but I'm curious your your professional or maybe just your personal opinion. So you mentioned that 60 million Americans that pay no income tax. Uh, isn't it also true that I forget what what the program's called, adjusted gross income, or I I don't, I don't know what it's called, uh, or whatever that 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 tax scheme is. But they actually not only do they not pay taxes, but they actually from the federal government get some kind of payment. Yeah, that's the earned income tax Thank credit. Thank you. The yeah, earned yeah. Income. So that's that's something that again, the the essence of it makes sense if you look at it for the intent is hey, I've got a single mom, a single dad out there, and it's it's hard to raise a kid single, and it's hard to have a real job when you got a kid and not in school. How do you navigate that? So if you're making ten, twelve thousand bucks a year. Yeah, you don't pay any income tax, and they'll give you back a few thousand dollars. And that's, but not really give it back, but like they just give it to you. Right, right. You when you file your tax return, you'll get that as a refund, but you never paid anything, and you get to that back. With, yeah. But you got to figure somebody in that income strata, two, three, four thousand bucks. That's a lot of money. That gets them through quite a bit, and it enables them to keep going and keep trying to be productive. Well, what's happened is everybody abuses that. Of course. And then you come over the other side, and it's like, well, I'm going to have you know X amount of kids and do this and this. And what you can do, what people, I've seen this happen. I've heard stories. It's crazy. But you don't even, if you could be self-employed as a as somebody and say, look, I've got four kids and I'm going to be self-employed. I'm going to make 12,000 bucks a year cleaning houses, let's just say. Your income tax credit is going to be whatever, five grand. Well, you could say, you know what? Actually, I think I made 18,000. Oh, well, your income tax credit is now going to be 7,000 bucks. You know, actually, I think I made $22,000. No, there's a there's a level of changes. But this is the scam that people do. They understand the taxpayer knows what that number needs to be. So when they go and report to like whatever tax preparer they use, whatever company that is, and they say, this is what I made. Here's all my kids. Well, nobody's going to say if you made more money, they're not going to like, well, not really. You're cheating the other way, right? Yeah. You're not saying I'm making becomes, less. People think they're just entitled to do it. It's like, I can just say this. And you, it's like you and I have argued forever. It's like, when you just say this, it's a lie. You, you know you're saying something that's false. and But they feel like, well, the government's sanctioning it. It's okay. I'm just getting this. And this is just money that's mine. I see it all the time. So going, my policy question is, why is essentially that's welfare? I mean, let's call it what it is. It's 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 support money or the dole, as they call it in England. Why is that built into our tax say our taxation scheme instead of shouldn't that money like if you have needs and you don't have enough income, that's welfare. But see, why is it built into the Internal Revenue Code? I'm going to approach that from a different direction because okay. everybody, when you look at the tax code, if it doesn't benefit you, it's not fair is a general rule. So if I have a house, a mortgage interest, and I'm going to itemize deductions, I get subsidized for having a house. I get a deduction for that. If you're paying rent, you don't get a deduction for that. If you have kids, you get a deduction for that. If I don't have kids, I don't get a deduction for that. If you have real estate, Mm -hmm. you get depreciation. If I don't, I don't. If you've got capital gains, you're going to get a lower rate. If I don't have capital gains, I get a higher rate. So what happens is the code is written not to be fair, 
to extract dollars. Let's be crystal clear. They know, again, 20 years ago, I filed a tax return. You've got, I'm making up a number, 20 data points. Now there's 200 data points. They know to the penny when they say we're going to raise the standard deduction or we're going to reduce depreciation or we're going to give you a child tax credit, they know whatever that number is, they know exactly what that's going to cause the budget to do. And they will take from here and give it over here. They'll take from here, give it over here. They get the same amount of money or more. So to your point is that's just politics. They're, yeah. they're buying those votes because yeah. if you continue to get something free, you're going to vote for that. Well, you, it drives me crazy because oh, yeah. it's called a refund. And it's like, dude, you never paid any taxes right. to begin with. You're not getting notice. You're not mm-hmm. getting a refund. You're getting largesse. You're just getting welfare money, but they're, it, they call it a refund. And I'll bet you some people don't even know it's not a refund. Yeah. Or, or they, they don't care. Or just they call it a refund, so they call it their tax refund. Yeah. So that just becomes the new normal. It's a, yeah. This is my tax right. refund. Yeah, they and look, don't care. I, I get it that there may be some value in doing that. There may be some government policy in doing that. We can debate that. But at least call it what it is. Right. Right. It, again, it's um, as a, you know, if they would, I know this is going to sound really, really crazy, but if they would just say, hey, remember, everybody looks at this as a tax revenue problem. It's not a tax revenue problem. It's a, it's a spending problem by the yeah, government. Yeah. If we could just identify what as a country, federal, state, local, what we're going to spend, yeah. we know that amount. Now we can find an equitable way to tax people. But they never talk about that. No. They talk about, I'm going to tax the rich. I'm going to give it to this person. I'm going to take this in and put that out. They don't look at it the right way because ultimately it's not fair to make it so some people pay and some people don't. We but all participate. We should like, pay something. You know, nobody mm-hmm. ever talks about cutting programs in order to no, supplant it not. with another one. They just add it on top. And then they say, we don't have money for that. Well, that's because the rich aren't paying taxes. And it's like, oh, look. False your, narrative. Your, yeah. your, your spending habits have changed, you know, Uncle Sam. You know, it's like right. you're now spending more and you need more money. So- Ten years ago, if we had just frozen that in time, there's plenty of money. But you've added ten more programs every year, and here we go. We can't afford it. But the 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 complaint about that is they say, okay, this program is going to cost a hundred million dollars a year. So our budget we're going to put in, we need a fifteen percent increase. So then the everybody gets together and goes, you know, we're going to make it only that a ten percent increase. Well, somehow that's a cut. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's still a ten percent well, increase. Right. So, so then they're inflation saying, "Inflation well, is down. It's only seven percent instead right. of ten percent." If that right. guy would have been paying more tax, we could afford this. We wouldn't have to cut. Well, we're not really cutting. Nobody's no. really right. cutting, that's and that's right. the hard part. Right. There's no cut. Now, inflation just, is still there. The tax is like the spending is still there. That it's would, just spending less. Hence your name, common sense. That it doesn't jive with me. A cut means I'm doing less Look, than this is, right. this is Orwellian vocabulary. Right. Right. A, reduction, Orwellian vocabulary. a reduction in the rate of increase <laughs> is called a cut. <laughs> right. 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 Like, what Which is crazy. Yeah. That's right. So, so. I, I detected a, a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. And this is what always drives me wild about talking to scientists or technical people like you. I mean, you're you're a scientist of of the tax code and and how numbers and 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 math and and dollars work. And sometimes what I what I really want to do is get somebody like you to talk a, a little bit about uh, policy. And and I appreciate that you're doing that. So I detected a little bit of maybe you think at least I'll speak for myself. I think it would be good if even the low dollar people, the people that are getting that um, earned income tax credit, quote, refund, that's not a refund, 
everybody should have skin in the game. Everybody should feel like something is being extracted from them in order for the government to go out and participate in wars or build bridges or pave roads or whatever it is. And at the retail level, at the gas pump, rich and poor alike are paying fuel taxes, right? But in the income situation, there's a whole chunk, and I think I heard this statistic, we're approaching roughly 50% of people that work are not paying any federal income tax. It may be over 50%. And it's not the rich. And so, you know, here's the thing. They don't have skin in the game. So when, when they talk about, you know, sticking it to the rich or sticking it to, you know, like, shouldn't somebody at least pay 1%? Or something. I'm not, I, I know yeah. it's a policy question. Oh, no, it's, it's a great question. I, and so remember, whatever bracket you are in, whoever makes more than you is not paying enough. And whoever makes uh, less than you should be paying, you know, is not, is, shouldn't be paying as much. Because right. it's just where we sit. It just doesn't, like, again, when you put a real tax dollar on people of what they're paying on the percentage of their income, again, I, I think it's it can't be... It can't be the progressive taxes is what we have. The more you make, the more you pay. Yeah. In the purest sense, just forget about deductions, forget about tax. Just talk about we're all just making X dollars W-2. Like we can't do anything with that. It is what it is. It is, my opinion, it's unfair that somebody's making a million dollars is going to pay, you know, 400000 in tax and somebody that's making $10,000 a year pays nothing and gets back four grand. That's well, look, unfair. But there, there's another part of this norm that you made me think about, which is, you have a you run a business, yeah. So you have an LLC or an S corp, whatever you have, yeah. Um, but immediately that puts on you, the business owner. You're vested with knowledge that frustrates the crap out of you, which is you know how much you pay in tax. That's right. The <laughs> and look, it sounds so ridiculous to say that, but I would say the average worker of all levels, like say a doctor, say a lawyer who just gets a check. Say um, anybody who doesn't run a business. People subject to withholding, I think, is where you're going. It is done. It's like like the pickpocket by the government. That's right. It is done without their knowledge. They see the net amount of their check. They don't see behind it. And it's automatically deposited. It's automatically Mm, this. It's automatically withdrawn. Their employers take out most of the tax. I've long felt that withholding should be abolished. And as, as messy as it would be, I'm sure the CPAs would freak out on this, as messy as it would be, because a lot of people wouldn't do their quarterlies, right? right? A lot of people wouldn't, they wouldn't stay with it. But if, if Joe Sixpack, if the UAW guy didn't have withholding, he's working for GM, makes a hundred grand a year. He's at the top of his seniority. He's making really good Jack, right? Yep. And if he had to sit down, he and his wife and write a check every quarter to it the federal hurt. It would. It would. I'll tell you what. You talk about belt tightening in D.C. Oh yeah. Because now you'd have blue collar people saying, "Hey, I'm I'm not digging writing this or four thousand dollar check every quarter." Another pet peeve. They get tax refunds in April or in May or if they file early, they yeah. get it in January. And they're February. happy about and it. And they're happy about it. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> look, that was money that they picked your pocket, and they were kind enough to give it back. Yeah, and, and you gave them a free yeah. loan for well, a year. Well, you know, right. to, to your point, though, of them literally having to write a check, they can do. They can actually check and look at 
their stub every month and look where it's going. They could, but they don't. They don't. It's like right. Don't look and over by here. By design, it's like it's me, over here. Picked but your you, pocket, but and you, you don't could. even know it. That's and why I, the UAW is trying to get a forty percent pay increase, right. because they just consider that whole part of their paycheck. Right. And, oh, and, and, I, and if you really want to learn the pain, then make an effort for right. the next six well, months. Right. Look at your pay stub and see where it goes. Let me tell you something. A great and most amazing thing ever. When you have a real job and you have withholding, I can ask 99 out of 100 people and they will have no clue what their total tax they paid for the year is. They know no they're clue. gross though. Yeah, nope. they know they don't they don't they even know, know that. that. Okay. They know what their refund or amount owed is with That's their tax right. return. That's right. They don't know. I'm like, they're like, "Oh my god, I owe 1000 bucks." Well, you know you already paid 90,000 in. What? Yeah, that's what they withheld. Yeah. There's no way. They don't, because you don't see it, you don't know. Right. You, you don't just know. think that's the way it is. Now, when you're self-employed, most of those people know exactly because oh. they're stroking the check. No, well, look, right. I, I've done this. I have brought friends, colleagues, clients into your office to say, look, here's Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones wants to start a business doing X, Y, Z. And we sit down with you and you go through this. They are blown away by the obligation of, running the business from just the financial, the tax side of it, but also how much they have to pay. And, you know, it's like, look, you've got, he's like, oh man, I'm set. I got these, I'm a, I'm a landscaper. I already got 10,000 a month in contracts. I'm like, oh, that's great. You're going to be broke. And they're like, well, wait a minute. It's 10,000 a month. I'm like, look, man, you let's start looking at your expenses. That's your gross income. And then, you know, say you net out three grand in expenses and then you pay half the rest to the, to, uh, for, self-employment withholdings or other withholdings and taxes. And next thing you know, you're living on a thousand a month or 2000 a month. And they're like, how's that happen? I'm like, welcome to the show. Well, that's mm, where, that's right. again, um, when you have a real job, you have, and again, W2 real job work for the man. You have some regularity, some stability, some like continuity. This is what I'm going to make. And you adjust your budget accordingly. That's right. When you're self-employed, if I had a nickel for all the clients I uh, engage with, that if I could have got with them before they started their business to modify that business plan to see what they're really going to make, if that would be affordable or not, they would have saved their whole life savings because they take all their money out of retirement. They fund this thing. And it's just not viable. By the time you do expenses and taxes. I'll get my nickel for you. You can't can't do it. You can't sustain it. And people don't realize it. And they don't also realize what the overhead costs would be to get the legal advice, the accounting advice, the tax advice, yeah. how the payroll. What do you have to do to run a business? They just don't know. And it's not easy. It's hard. Right? It's not yeah, easy. Now, look, hard. most of us did it despite ourselves, and or at least I'll say it for me. Like you said, I'll speak for me. I did it despite myself. I had absolutely zero idea what the hell I was doing. I had no clue what I was doing. And the only way it worked for me is because when I did it, I was broke. And that meant I didn't really have anything to contribute to lose. And, you know, my business was one of service. So I just had to eat, you know, ramen noodles and, and, and not do, spend any money until it started to work. And, you know, fortunately, I had a long runway to start, or unfortunately, you know, it's not like I took off and made a crap ton of money. I could slowly start and then figure it out as I went um, with your help, really, on, on what to do. And I remember we, you, you had uh, Eric and, me over for Thanksgiving dinner one time. It was like an early Thanksgiving dinner. And you handed me this, it was back before computers or before we, like it would have been a file, right. but it was a spreadsheet and the spreadsheet was a budget. And it was like, here's what you spend. Um, so I know what you guys are making right now, roughly. And you probably don't remember this, but I do. You, you did it and you were making me eat cooked garlic with a turkey at the same time. <laughs> it's only, that's how you get, get money to pay attention. Golf course, way, <laughs> yeah. or whatever that was. And, and you were still living in a small oh, little yeah. house. And oh, like yeah. we were both all sort of starting out. And you said, look, here's, here's your key to success. Just do this. And I did do that. I did it for a long time. 
and I didn't get behind the eight ball because of that. And uh, running a business like that, if people, if if you think it's easy, it's not. And the only way you can do it is with help like what you provide. And uh, even then, it still takes tremendous discipline to get it done. Oh, you got to be a psycho to start a business and run it because it's you start every day negative and nobody believes in you. You have nobody to vent to. It's it's a really hard thing to do. And if you don't get good advice, at least financially and planning and making sure it's viable and make sure you do all the things where you don't have a sin that's going to cover later leaning. I didn't know I had to pay sales tax. I didn't know I was supposed to do pay my payroll taxes. And those things come back. It's, it's over. You're or, done. You know, you're done. Yeah. people I've had this, look, I, a very good friend of mine is a drywall guy and he, uh, he went out on his own. He's going to start his own drywall business. And uh, he just did it. You know, he didn't tell me, he didn't tell you, didn't do anything. And next thing he knows, he's doing great, right? He's got, he's making a gross of a hundred grand a year in drywall contracts. He's got zero at the end of every single month. Hasn't paid a penny in, uh, in uh, uh, quarterly estimates. Didn't, d- didn't know he had to, did he? And, and it was like, oh, it's no yeah. big deal. I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. Right. And now he's, now, he's, now he's beyond the radar screen. So he is forever off the radar and living this life of, holy crap, sooner or later, the other yeah. shoe is going to fall right. and they're going to ask. And so what do those people do? They just don't file tax returns. And, you know, next thing and, you know. And, and remember, that's the, the crime is not not paying your taxes. We don't test technically have to pay our tax. Right. We have to file the tax return. And you have to file an accurate tax return. So there's a penalty for not filing and there's a penalty for not filing accurately. You, the taxpayer, get the not filing penalty if you don't file it accurately, you get that penalty too as well. But if I, as your professional, don't file it accurately, I get double that penalty for yep. taking something I shouldn't take. And, and, and to your, your guy, when you don't pay taxes and you don't account for things, you pay everything cash, you make a ton of money because you're, you're, yeah. you're not paying half your income. Well, you're, out, you're, you're Al Capone. This is great. You're Al Capone. That's, that's Elliot Ness. Yeah. So, so what will happen is the IRS, when you, the second you file your tax return, they have 10 years to collect that money from you. And if they don't collect it in the 10 years, it just goes away. So, Glenn, I got to ask you, just let me jump in because I know our listeners are all chanting Hunter Biden right now. So why after only I think it's only five years or or maybe maybe it was 10, but it just seems like the IRS is is compelled or the prosecutors are compelled to dismiss these charges because the statute of limitations has run out. Is, is is there a statute of limitations on paying your taxes? Because I didn't know that. So paying your, ta- again, paying your taxes, it's up to the government to collect that from you. I mean, you're supposed to pay it and they'll penalize you and, and they'll mm-hmm. levy, garnish, put liens on to try to get that money. But yeah. if they don't get it from you after 10 years, that money just drops off for that. So if you file the 2010 tax return and 2011, they have until 2021 to collect that money generally. And if they don't collect it, it just goes away. But if you don't file your 2010 tax return until 2020, the clock starts then. So you first got to file your return. And if you don't yeah. file your tax return, that's where the crime is. It's never not paying your taxes. So if you, you don't go to jail for so not paying the, the your taxes. So the crime norm is there's a statute of limitations yeah. on the criminal activity for yeah. not filing yeah. or not reporting the income. Not reporting. But there's what Glenn is saying, I think, is that there's sort of an, an effective 10-year statute of limitations on collection, which is not really a statute of limitations, but they have 10 years to collect it. Hmm. And what I'm, at, what I'm curious about is if they're already engaged in the efforts of collecting and you're making payments, does it disappear after 10 years yes. or does that extend? Yeah, well- They'll keep taking money as long as you keep paying them. But if I start say I'm paying a thousand a year on a, a thousand a month on some obligation that I have with the IRS, and I get to the tenth year and I still owe 
you know, 10,000 more and I just stopped paying. Right. Allegedly, they can't collect it anymore. But, they make but most anyway, people somehow. that have that, <laughs> well, so, and most people that owe like that, they have multiple years. So there's always something rolling. Right, 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 right. right so right. the most sure. important thing to remember is the worst job probably to be, I want you to, and again, this is just from my side because I have to deal with the friends and folks at the IRS and you got some good ones and not so good ones, but it is the most thankless job on the planet. They oh, literally sure. wake up in Can't the morning, yeah. thousands of forms, people with sob stories. It's all crazy. And they got to go through this stuff and they just got to do what they got to do. Yep. And to that point is our job as, you know, planners, preparers, whatever, is to give a good product to the IRS. So when they look at it, it's legit and they don't have to spend that. They, they love coming to my office because when they come in there, they know it's going to be right. We go through the thing, we have some coffee, we shoot the bull, and here everything is. We lay it out for them. We kind of do their job for them and say, here's everything you need. And they go through and ask questions, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's great. They don't want to come into a situation where you're hiding stuff and you did fraud because it's the worst feeling in the it's, world. It's stress, it's anxiety, it's pain. So do it right the first time, and you don't worry about and it. You know what else I've noticed is, because I've, I've, I've worked with represented, no been in the trades myself at various times in my life or, or close to doing contract, whatever it is, the people who don't pay any taxes are always broke and they make them, they make more money than everybody else who does pay tax. And there's something psychologically about this. When you live off the radar screen, you have only cash. People tend to blow it. Cash doesn't um, mean anything. It, because and it's a weird, I don't know what the psychology is, but uh, an old lawyer once told me, he goes, yeah, I've always noticed these guys who do uh, collect cash, lawyers who collect in criminal defense particularly. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody give them a thousand bucks at the courthouse, get it done or whatever. It goes right in their pocket. Next thing you know, they're buying dinner for everybody that night because they had a big day and the money's gone. If it goes in your bank account and you count it and you assign the dollars to different places, you tend to save it. And, and like I, you know, I, I've never done that. I've never just like taken in the cash and not, I've never lived the other way. But I know this, the people that do tend to blow that money and it doesn't mean as much when I have it in my bank account and I account for it and I start to budget and put it in different buckets, I tend to have more than those who don't pay the tax in the first place. It doesn't, in other words, you don't, look, I'm not, I'm not advocating for the tax code, but what I am saying is the people who don't play by the rules have to live off the grid. Now I would love it if I could just put all my cash in a bank account and not pay tax on it. But the people who don't put it in their bank account and just spend it, it's not like it's sitting in a safe and they've got it for a rainy day. It's gone. So here's a, a funny thing about that. You can go, make $100,000 in cash. Again, you the government knows if you buy a house, a car, a boat, travel, they get track your, you know, they they know what you're doing and if it doesn't jive up, you'll get a, a John Deere letter in the mail and they'll come and look at you and if mm. it's really bad, you'll get a criminal CID guy come up with a gun and a badge and say, "We need to talk to you." So, you have a choice. If you make $100,000 and you don't claim it versus if you make 100,000 and do claim it. If you claim it and you use a good professional that says, well, this is how you navigate the tax code. This is what your write-offs are. This is how you can put money in retirement. These are the things you can do that are vanilla, like not, it's, it's totally black. You can do this. You just don't have the knowledge, most people. And if you just do these things, I will guarantee that that person is going to have way more money at the end of X time period than the person who has the cash and tries to, quote, Stick it to the yeah, man. That's the point of yeah, and exactly. why don't stick it? Give Caesar his peace, but don't give him any more than he have to. But uh, you, you almost quoted the Bible. Render to Caesar what uh, is Caesar. Whatever, whatever, whoever the Caesar guy is, he's going to get something. <laughs> but if you do it the right way, you will. You get in the system where you're like, okay, I'm going to play by these rules. I'm going to have knowledge to play by the rules better than the other guy. And if I have those rules that are 
I mean, the code's written in a way you can do these things, then you're going to have way more money left. And the people that have, they never have anything left because you can't do anything with it. Yeah, you, what yeah. are you going to do with mm-hmm. 500000 in cash sitting around? You can't go buy anything. They, they yeah. know you. And now They've got you. you didn't mm-hmm. file, so now you're a criminal, and they can come back at you forever. And let's say, you've, let's say there's a statute out there that says, I say I make 100000 bucks, but I got paid twenty grand in cash, and I don't claim that 20000 bucks. Well, the rule is if you don't – they can go back and uh, audit your tax return for three years back is just the rule. And usually if they grab a year, they do the year before and the year after is because they make it a package deal, which is kind of fun, sure. right? You, they grab everything. You can do the annual probe. Do the annual probe nicely. Yeah, get exactly. it done. And what's great is if you do things consistently, you do it right, like, okay, great. It is what it is. But if you don't, then they got you, right? But mm-hmm. if you claim either – overtake a deduction or unclaim income to the extent it's 20% of your income, that's tax fraud. And they go back way back. And yeah, that's then you're criminal. calling me. Mm. That's a criminal and, thing. And so, the statute of limitation on that, just so everybody knows, is from the date of discovery, not the date of the conduct. Correct. So, so this Hunter mm. thing, I got to keep going back to that. I, it's unbelievable. But remember, this that's He's a getting millions from the Chinese, the Ukrainians, this the is, Russians. That's and, a special it, deal, right? How, how in the world it, does he have all of that dismissed because the Statute of limitations. Remember, the, well, that's what they're saying. But remember, when you make the deals behind the scenes, you know, Steve, you know, you you make deals all the time. Yep. All these things kind of go away. But the common guy out there, if you were to do this, Norm, you'd be in whatever penitentiary that is. Yeah. I'm not sure where, but you'd be I've there. Had plenty of them for but a lot if, less money. Yeah. But if you're a lot a, less money, we mm-hmm. call them. There's always going to be specials, and the specials are just special because they're connected somehow. And Again, wow. it, it pisses you off, but it like that's just the way that's always going to be. It's been that way. It's going to be all you can control is how you operate. And right. if you operate yourself and you f- follow the rules, you do what you can and can't do, and you run it that way, you go to bed and you sleep, and you sleep like a baby yeah. because you don't have yeah. to worry about anything. Right. When yeah. you try to go cheat on that stuff, it'll haunt you forever. You're getting into some common sense, basic psychology. I, I love know, it. sounds crazy. Because it's like, look, control the things you can control, live in your own world, and don't externalize it by comparing yourself to everybody else because yeah. it's just a pathway to hell. And once, once people start doing that with the tax code, with this or with anything else, they're like, well, that guy's not paying. I'm not doing it. But if you can, if you do, if you like, I, I love what you just said. Like you get your own basis covered. You take care of what you got to take care of. And then you get to sleep at night and wake up. And really the a huge part of that um, from a tax and financial obligation is don't spend more than you make. Look, just like, don't do what Uncle Sam does. Do what you do. So what will happen? We'll take two people here and they work at the same place and like say it's a real job and they'll compare notes. Hey, I got 800 bucks in my refund. Wait a minute. I only got, I got 1500. What do you mean you got 1500? My tax guy must be bad. <laughs> well, they do, every tax return is the different. Opposite, right? They it's don't the even know what's going on. Yeah. I can adjust you with holding up or down. You might have a different thing that you have. Well, but people you, think it's the same and, and it's and, not. And to your point, I've always been to the point of, I want zero. I don't want a refund back because the government held on to 1500 bucks that year that I could have used. That's right. I don't yeah. want and a refund. And they didn't pay you interest. I don't. I mean, I, I'm even cool with paying a few bucks if I had to pay. But it was, it yes. was an interest-free loan you it gave. It was an interest-free exactly. loan. I don't I would much re- rather take the interest-free loan. I That's don't right. want a refund at the end. I and don't. So here's the tricky part. So when you have a real job, you can predict within, you know, a hundred bucks what you're probably going to yeah. owe a refund and you can adjust your withholding to the penny where right. you break even. 
That's called a W one. Is that that form? You well, it's a, it's the W nine, but it, it W nine. You get to pick it, but it's they change those things. It's impossible. You need a doctorate right. and whatever, <laughs> and engineering to figure it out. But ultimately, you can just say, "Here's the number I want withheld, and we're good." Okay. As soon as you have a spouse start working, now we got to tweak things. But mm-hmm. that's just good planning. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you're self-employed, who in the heck knows what's going to happen? Exactly. You could have a month right. up and down. Yeah. So sure. what ends up happening is because the way the tax code is written, you have to pay your taxes as you earn the money. When you have a real job, they withhold every paycheck. When you're self-employed, you got to pay it every quarter. Now, if you're have an S corp, whatever, you can pay your taxes through withholding because you're part of that, and you can do different things. But, but ultimately, you get to monitor when you're going to pay your taxes. But if you pay too little when you make it, they'll give you a penalty for not paying your taxes timely and in the right amount. Wow. So when you're self-employed, you generally have to kind of push and pay a little bit more than you'd want to mm-hmm. because if you have a spike and you fill out the form, you're, you're going to get a couple and thousand dollars. It's on last year, right? So if I yeah. made X money last year and I had a great year, that means I got to do at least that much this year. Otherwise, face a penalty if I fall short. 110% or 98% of the current year. Well, who wants to do the math at 98% yeah. 37 times a year? So you pick a baseline, you go with it, and you monitor that, and you can go up and down. But that takes being proactive yeah, in your planning, right, not just right. picking. So, them up. like for instance, this year, just to be to, to disclose something personal, I had to sell some assets to uh, re, to do some refinancing in different places. I had a capital gains event, so I talked to you, and now that money is sitting in my bank account, waiting to pay the IRS, as opposed to the opposite. Correct. Because I work with you, and because we planned, I am saving and will have that money in April, um, versus giving it now to the government and and. Uh, Hoping for a return, or worse yet, having to pay in April, not having it, and not having it. A crisis. Lot, a lot of you. Know, it's funny the mindset of uh, our clients and a lot of entrepreneurs. Once they accept the fact that they have to pay the tax, it's easier for them to have it out of their bank account and pay it. Yeah. They don't even care if the government has it because they don't have to think about it. Because if it's sitting in your account, you think you have it, it just pisses you off when you're like, I got to write that check to the government. I and look just at sit that there. bank account That's balance right. every single day. And thinking, it's horrible because it's not, pay that. it's mm-hmm. not my money now. So most people will send it off. But a lot of people, again, for the last seven years, the interest rates are so low, who cared? But now, hey, if I can get 5% of my money and I give them the government, why not keep it? But you're not surprised that you're going to pay it. You That's can right. plan for it. Yeah, you know it's right. coming, yeah. and it's not a big deal. Yeah, it's going to suck to write the check, but you know, thank God you have it to write it. Imagine when you have to write the check and you don't have it. That's so, Glenn, so uh, I got to ask you to sure. play Nostradamus here, uh, or or uh, Kreskin, Normadonis. For, for for those of us that are a little older, can remember uh, Kreskin. So, look into the future here. There have been some really wacky congressional. Uh, schemes on taxing people. And one of the most outrageous that that I, I think everybody here is aware of that hasn't happened yet, hope it never happens, is the idea that you would pay taxes on a gain that you haven't actualized. In other words, I own a hundred or a thousand shares of Tesla, let's say, and it goes from whatever, 50 bucks to a hundred bucks, but I haven't sold those shares. It's just my portfolio went up, you know, from 50 to 100 per share. And there are there have been bills introduced to tax that gain in my portfolio. Oh, yeah, these wealth tax bills. That yeah. I, have not, I have not cashiered yet. And, of course, the next day that Tesla stock could go from 100 down to $5. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the federal government's going to give me my money back, right, for the loss. <laughs> 
what, is this, this is, stuff going to pass, or what, how I, would you even account for any of this? It's it would be an absolute nightmare. So what you're talking about is we call it recognized and realized gains. Thank you. A recognized gain is when I buy something. When I buy something, I'm in the arena. Okay, nothing happens with that till I sell it. Currently, that's a recognized gain. So as soon as I sell it, I have to record the gain or loss. If it's a gain, I pay tax on whatever that gain is. If it's a loss, I can offset my other gains and take an additional $3,000 loss, and the remaining of that loss is carried forward indefinitely for other future gains. So if I make a million dollars today, I pay tax a million dollars. Next year, I lose a million dollars. I get to deduct 3000 bucks. So that's unrecognized. Realize says, hey, my portfolio is doing whatever it does, and it went up. I realized it because it's there, but I haven't recognized it. They want to tax the realized, yes. thing, which is, I don't even know how you report that because, again, that will change throughout the day. Yes. So what, well, yeah. what day do you pick? It's a, we just, <laughs> they listen. were talking about a yearly wealth tax, and I think this has, like, I think some of the other countries, Scandinavian countries, people have tried this, and it's an unmitigated disaster because people just move. Well, you you right. can't they just, listen. They just leave. It was you know, what, 15 years ago, give or take, they made the brokerage houses actually report your basis so you can track your gains. Before, it was up to the taxpayer to do it. Who's going to know that I've got, you know, four dividends a year and I bought this stock in 1972 and I keep reinvesting dividends, I put 50 bucks a month in. What is my basis? Like, yeah, you have we to start using the fancy right, symbols on right. the calculator to figure we that crap yeah, out. Yeah, I got to use the mm-hmm. sine and cosine. I got people. <laughs> like, I can't get there myself now, the brokerage house is now required to do that. Remember, they just started doing some on Bitcoin. You know, last year was mandatory. They weren't even doing it. It was a wild, wild west. So now, at least we're getting some help. I remember I have to go to the library and find look up stocks because this is before the computer thing. And I had to go look in stocks, see what people would have paid for these things because they know when they bought it to figure out the basis. So this is on a real recognized thing, on a realized thing. Your portfolio, you might have, you know, 500 stocks in there and yeah. you might have only yeah. sold 10, Yeah, but you've got 490 other sh- shares that are stocks that have gone up or down. H- how can you even track that? And then if you re- pay a tax on the realized gain, what do you do with the realized losses? You just got to eat it, yeah. which is, I think, what's going to happen. That's right. Because remember- This will never get implemented. I, I, I'm knocking on wood. I don't think this ever gets implemented. Oh, for I God's think this sake. is a great idea. I mean, we're going to get lots of revenue generated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's just insanity. Well, Norm, look, wow. I mean, we Norm, Norm and I talked yesterday about uh, how we're going to handle Glenn, and we thought, oh, it's just going to be some boring accounting, and you know, we better just hit, get him boring. over this with. This is and, tax. And it's do boring. Whatever. But you know, it's, it's eating up a good chunk of the time, so I think- um, you know, I could go on enough for another hour. Oh. I think this stuff is fascinating. Well, but, Glenn has to come back, right? Yeah, you're gonna have to. Well, he is our sponsor. Yeah, he's got to right, come back, right? And yeah. right now, you got no competition. Of course, yes. it's coming. It's yes. coming. It's coming. <laughs> uh, so look, let's hit some nuggets. Yeah, Glenn, you can just sort of uh, join the show. Give us a common sense uh, mm-hmm. uh, comment on some of the stuff we call these norms nuggets, and uh, we'll see what we got. <laughs> well, uh, in 1866, there was a, probably one of the best quotes of all time. If you're a common censor like we are. Uh, a judge named Gideon Tucker, uh, who what was a also great name Gideon, Gideon Tucker. Tucker. Yeah. Eighteen sixty-six. He he was a judge in New York and also a newspaper editor. But he, uh, in writing an opinion, uh, a, a judgment or an opinion about a legal malpractice case, he's the guy who put out the quote that says, "No man's life, liberty." or property are safe while the legislature is in session. (laughs) So I love that quote, right? That's a good one. That's a good one. So I am not 
exercise. I, it, look, the Twitter world and, and social media is all asunder, both Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. Everybody's upset that Congress is not in session and they're doing the third ballot today, maybe, on Jim Jordan and picking a speaker. I am celebrating the fact that Congress is not in session. Guess well, what? Yeah, I absolutely we, we, love it. We came in today. We worked. We're going to go home. That's right. Life didn't stop. No, it did not. Wow. Remember the it's days of, uh, of uh, Dan, was it Dan Stock? Not Dan Stock. Who was Stockdale? Who was... Um, um, James Stockdale. James Stockdale yeah, he was, was uh, uh, what's his name's vice president. The, the guy who owned EDS. Perot. 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 Ross, Ross Perot. Perot. Right. Here's the deal. Sucking, Here's sucking the, deal. the job Here's down in Mexico. Here's I can hear do. it. I can hear it. But he, it. he would stand up there in that vice presidential debate and like, gridlock, gridlock, <laughs> gridlock. Well, his best and, was when they got to health care. What, what should the federal government you know, have for a health care policy? He said, well, I think we should have one. And other than that, I'm out of ammo on that. <laughs> right, right. Now, this is, now, wait a minute. He was That's in the classic. Hanoi Hilton. He was a Medal of Honor he winner. He was no slouch. He's a stud. This was the, yeah. He was a stud. That's yeah. right. But, but I, I disagreed with him on one major point. It's the point you're making. When we had gridlock back in the days of uh, Slick Willie, we got a balanced budget. Yeah, him and Newt. When we couldn't get anything done, him and Newt Congress hammered. couldn't spend any money. That's right. They couldn't get it together. Yeah. So guess what? We just stockpiled cash. It, it's funny what happens when you don't spend it, you save it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, so you're right. It's like when, when Congress is gridlocked up, uh, that's how it's supposed to work. People, people get so upset about this, but the founders intended this, right? They didn't yeah. want to make it easy to dig into our pocketbooks and take our money and spend it on stuff. And to that point. Uh, the state of Kentucky, I think, still has this in their constitution. Every year, their legislative season is sixty days. Awesome. They get their legislature has. In, right. If you this can't is do still, it in sixty days, bye bye. You got right. two months to pass all the laws that you want to pass, or reform things, right. or you know, delete laws, or whatever you want to do. Of you know, and then get the hell out of here, go home. I think look, Indi- I think Indiana has a short term as well too. Yeah. I think they're it's, it's not all year. They're there maybe three months. Yeah, get out like of here. That. And when yeah. we were talking to JD Vance, and and we've talked to some of these people, and and we'll talk to more of them on the show as guests. But you know, everybody, all these politicians, they always run on this platform like I'm going to do this. Oh, for I'm going to do sake. this. I'm right. gonna, presidents are the worst offenders of all. And I'm thinking right. to myself, yeah, first of all, you shouldn't have any power to do this. Sadly, it looks like we're going to a direction where the president does have that power right. through the executive branch or through the administrative body of government, but. Um, I don't want to hear it. I want to hear that you're going to go solve some freaking problems by doing less, not more. Right. You know, it's like right. the government always, all these people always say, man, it would have worked if you just let me do more. Instead of saying what we tried to do is an abject failure and we should stop and turn around. That's what, Glenn, I would have to do in my business. All right, so I went down this marketing plan. It didn't work. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop Come spending on. the freaking dollars on it and go a different direction. Cut bait. And it's hard. It's really hard to look in the mirror and say, I pissed away that money, didn't work, got to do something else. But when it's your money, you have to do it. When it's other people's money. Yeah. When I'm president, I'm going to say every new (laughs) law, we're going to have to repeal five laws. And eventually, in a short time, it'll be be nice because, again, when you're in in my line of work, and, and even as an entrepreneur or business owner, you need some certainty of what the rules are so you can forecast and plan out. And if you don't have certainty, like the the Trump tax code that was started in whatever that was, 17, it expires at the end of next year. That was the biggest tax change we had in you know 30 years. When that goes back to retro what it was, it is going to decimate a lot of small businesses because they're used to operating in this environment. Mm-hmm. And if you won't have certainty of what the rules are, you, you can't 
make bold moves because you don't know what's going to happen. So people well, hold back, and that's not good. So that's to that point yeah. is if they could just like, hey, here's the set of rules for the next X years, and we promise, because I'm a politician, you can promise, after 15 years, we will have some clarity what this looks like going forward. Let everybody, okay, now we know the rules, we can play. But when we don't know, it makes it very challenging. Yeah, you know, the PPP program is the one that drives me crazy. You have two similarly situated restaurant owners, let's say, or copy shop owners or whatever, you know, two, two people that are in the same trade, same business, maybe making the same amount. And along comes this PPP program. And neither one of them knows if they're going to have to pay this back or not. And, and one decides I'm already in debt. I already have to lay off workers. I don't want to go further in debt. No, thank you. I'm not doing the PPP. The other person may say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to gamble. I'm going to take a chance. And there you go, Glenn. There's no clarity going into the loan about what the outcome will be. And so some people did well and had 10,000. We, we had some rock stars that had concerts canceled. And one or two of them made like $10, $20 million that is forgiven. Whereas other people, even at the lowly retail level, making you know, fifty grand a year. They declined the PPP because they thought they were going to have to pay it back. Or, or to get it, totally unfair. Was, like it, it was a paperwork. In, it was insane yeah. what you requested to do. Like I, I would defy. I would love to send this off to the average, uh, what you call that, like the regular real jobs. I would love to send off the application for the PPP to them and say, "You tell me how easy this was." Yeah. Because you couldn't, like I filled it out and screwed it all up. You well, know? it's a it's Don- like, Donald Rumsfeld letter, right? Yeah. right. I don't yeah, know how this right. works. I mean, they yeah. were asking for numbers that I'm yeah. like, I had to look up what every single thing meant mm-hmm. and how to get it sure. and what it was right. and call my payroll company and I'm yeah. trying to figure all this crap out. Yeah. And you had like 24 hours to do it. It, it. Anybody who thought this was a was was a windfall for small businesses is sorely mistaken. And the wealthy people who had all that stuff who didn't really need the PPP anyway. No, they didn't. Right. They made out like bandits, like yeah. Starbucks. They apply. Like Star- yeah. yeah, I mean, they made yeah. out so, like bandits. And and that's a, a thing. And that's what again we look at the tax code and how this thing works. You know, you can say anybody has the opinion. You can say, you know, I'm I choose not to deduct my mortgage interest and take the tax credit. You don't have to take it. You can just not put it on your return. Mm. You're, you so yeah, live you, what you preach. You can choose to do yay or nay. And if you don't want the PPP, it's available. It's one of those ones where. Why wouldn't you try to get it if you could because your neighbor's getting it and now they're going to be in a better position, but you don't know at the time, right? Because you got yeah, this uncertainty and, exactly and it was right. more like, hey, once we knew that you could always give it back, our premise for our clients was let's go get it. We'll sit on it, see what that looks like. If we need it, great. If we don't need it, we'll give it back. And if we got to use it, we can use it and the rules will come later. But at least you had it. So it was yep. about getting it first and then figuring it out later, which is right. in the absolute backwards way to do something. That's right. But it, it was a limited pool of money. Once it was gone, you don't get any more. Yeah, it's right. such, such it a was, bad it was, it was a horrible. Which was uh, also an unfairness. Absolutely not. Because they could have done a credit for, for money that you would earn down the road. But see, but that's, they didn't do that either. But see, remember, the great thing about the tax code and all these things that were government programs is that once you play in that arena with free money from the government, oh. you're subject to that. We had quite And a look cli- at the fraud, right, Glenn? Right. I had, mean, the we, fraud is off the hook on, on that program. I, I, had cli- I had clients that are like, you know what? I'm not comfortable with that program. I'm not doing it, and well, let's see if I can make this go on my own. Because out of principle, they just didn't want to do it. You get that, the uh, the. Um, 
the idle loan, like you're you're hooked up with SBA for the next 30 years. They own everything you have. That's the worst loan in the world to get. But at the time, if you're trying to survive, you'll sell your soul because you have an obligation to your team, your staff, your clients, your dream. You, you'll you do anything yeah. to make that work. Yeah. And that is an uncomfortable position to put somebody in, dangle the carrot and say, I own you now. That's right. That's, that's a hard thing to be. Yeah. But well, look, the, it's the game. It's, it's probably time to wrap it up. I didn't do my World War II, but I've been doing this thing where I've been taking this day in history, World War II. <laughs> so this day in history in 1944, I got to do it. We're going to okay. do it. Allied forces invaded the Philippines. U.S. General Douglas MacArthur landed on the island of uh, Leyte. It's Leyte, right? I shall return. Uh, yeah. yeah. Fulfilling his promise to return to the area where he was forced to flee in 1942. Yeah. He says, I shall return after having to flee the Philippines. And, of course, he did two years later. And then what? How long was he in charge there after the war? He was there well, for— Well, he was in charge there before the war because we got the Philippines from the Spanish-American War outcome, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so he was governor general of the Philippines, and that's why he had such a passion, such a love for Maybe the Filipino. Maybe too Filipino. close to it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe so after close. the war, of course, he, he did that for Japan. Yes. He was the one that promulgated their constitution, gave women the right to vote in Japan, you know, yeah, no, pretty uh, radical changes for there's Japan. Uh, there's a couple of biographies out there. I'm a, he's a pretty incredible guy. I mean, he was a yeah. smart uh, guy, smart really, guy. Uh, sort of a Patton esque type of guy, capable, but a little more politically old, savvy than old Patton. soldiers old just soldier. fade away. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, with that, we'll wrap up this weekly dose of Common Sense Ohio, brought to you, as it turns out, by Harper Plus Accounting. Harper Plus Accounting, right here, represented at the round table. Uh, Glenn, if they want to get a hold of you or, or what's the, what's the best way to look you up or call you for advice and look, I, I, I take it you help people of all business yeah. levels. How do they make an yeah. appointment with you? Basically, yeah, it, Our webpage is the best place to do it. It's, it's uh, Harper and company and, uh, and it's, uh, you know, harpercpaplus.com. Uh, they can reach out there. They can call us 614-456-7222. Uh, somebody will gladly take your information and we'll reach out to see if we, we a good fit for you. And it's, you want, uh, the why, the how, the shortcut, the value add, the knowledge transfer versus just a transaction, that's who you'd call. All right. So you also have a podcast. Yes. Empowering Entrepreneurs. Julie Smith and I do that. It's awesome. Talk about how entrepreneurs, their journey and the pros and cons. And it's it's a hoot doing that to help people understand. Working with uh, right here at the table, Brett, Circle 270 mm -hmm. Media to the help man. produce that and get it done. I, I will boast my episode. I was the first on his. I was he the was. first guest. It is the highest rated episode. <laughs> now, you could say, you might argue that's because it's the first and therefore it gets the most downloads. <laughs> but I take issue. It is the best. <laughs> it, is right. it is the best. We had you, I was, I was asking all kinds of things out of school. It was great. We had oh, a blast a, on that one. It was a great episode. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, this is uh, your weekly dose of commonsenseohioshow.com. If you want to go visit that, you can ask us questions, become a guest, uh, learn to become a sponsor, check out the blogs, all the regular stuff. But until next week, we are coming at you right from the middle at Common Sense Ohio, at least until now.